Chapter forty six of Crips the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter forty six In the Meshes. Now, being newly inspired by that warm theologian, as Miss Patch really believed him to be, Luke Sharp, the lady felt capable of a bold stroke which her conscience had seemed to cry out against till loftier thoughts enlarged it. She delivered to her dear niece a letter written in pale ink and upon strange paper which she drew from a thicker one addressed to herself and received through their butcher from a post-office wondering who their butcher was but delighted to get her dear father's letter grace ran away to devour it it was dated from georgetown english guiana and though full of affection showed touching traces of delicate health and despondency the poor girl wiped her eyes at her father's tender longing to see her once more and his earnest prayers for every blessing upon their invaluable friend miss patch and he spoke of himself in a manner which made it impossible for her to keep her eyes wiped so deep was his sadness and yet so heroically did he attempt to conceal it from her and then came a few lines which surprised her greatly he said that a little bird had told him that during her strict retirement from the world in accordance with his wishes she had learned to esteem a most worthy young man for whom he had always felt warm regard and he might even say affection he doubted whether at his own time of life and with this strange languor creeping over him he could ever bear the voyage to england unless his little darling would come over to fetch him or at least to behold him once more alive and if she would do so she must indeed be quick he need not say that to dream of her travelling so far alone was impossible but if for the sake of her father she could dispense with some old formalities and speedily carry out their mutual choice he might with his whole heart appeal to her husband to bring her out by the next packet he said little more except that he had learned by the bitter teaching of adversity who were his true friends and who were false no one had shown any truth in reality except mr sharp of oxford but he never could have dreamed till it came to the test that even the lowest of the low would treat him as young mr overshoot had done that subject was too painful so he ended with another adjuration to his daughter auntie i have had the most extraordinary letter cried grace coming in with her eyes quite dreadful it astonishes me beyond everything may i see the postmark of yours which it came in i think that i am dreaming till i see the postmark the stamp of the office do you mean my dear oh yes you are welcome to see grace here it is georgetown demerara the date is not quite clear without my spectacles those foreign dyes are always cut so badly never mind the date aunt i have the date inside in my father's writing but i am quite astonished how my father can have heard something about you sly little puss you need not blush so for i long have guessed it but in indeed it is not true indeed it is not i may have been amused but never never oh what he says then of somebody else such a thing i should have thought impossible how can one have any faith in any one my dear child what you mean is this how can one have any faith in worldly and ungodly people with their mouths they speak deceit the poison of asps is under their lips oh no he never was ungodly 
to see him walk would show you that and if being good to the poor sick people and dashing into the middle of the whooping cough how am i to know of whom you speak you appear to have acted in a very forward way with some one your father disapproves of i assure you i never did anything of the kind it is not at all my manner i thought you considered it wrong to make unfounded accusations grace what a most unchristian temper you still continue to display at times your cheeks are quite red and your eyes excited in a way very sad to witness the trouble i have taken is beyond all knowledge if you do not value it your father does auntie patch may i see exactly what my daddy says to you i will show you mine if you will show me yours my dear you seem to forget continually you treat me as if i were of your own age and had never been through the very first alarm which comes for our salvation it has not come to you or you could not be so frivolous and worldly as you are when first it rang even for myself how many times does it ring aunt i mean for every individual sinner as you always call us my dear it rings three times it has been proved by the most inspired of all modern preachers the rev william romaine while amplifying the blessed words of the pious joseph aline he begins his discourse upon it thus auntie you have told me that so many times that i could go up into his desk and do it it is all so very good and superior but there are times when it will not come you or at any rate i for certain may go down on our knees and pray and nothing ever comes of it i have been at it every night and morning really quite letting go whatever i was thinking of and what is there to come of it except this letter and it doesn't sound as if my father ever wrote a word of it grace what do you mean if you please i mean what i do not please i mean that i have been here at least five months as long as any fifty and have put up with the miserablest things now never mind about my english if you please it is quite good enough for such a place as this and have done my very best to put up with you who are enough to take fifty people's lives away with perpetual propriety and have hoped and hoped and prayed and prayed till my knees are not fit to be looked at and now after all what has come of it that i am to marry a boy with a red cord down his legs and a crystal in his whip and a pretty face that seems to come from his mamma's watch-pocket and a very nice and gentle way of looking at a lady as if he were quite capable if he had the opportunity of saying bo to any goose on the other side of the river my dear do you prefer bold ruffians then like the vagabond you were rescued from i don't know at all what i do prefer aunt patch unless it is just to be left to myself and have nothing to say to any one why grace that is the very thing you complained of in your sinful and ungrateful speech just now but do not disturb me with any more temper i must take the opportunity before the mail goes out to tell your poor sick father how you have received his letter oh no if you please not you are quite mistaken if you think that i thought of myself first my dear father knows that i never would do that and it would be quite vain to tell him so oh, my darling darling father where are you now and whatever are you doing grace you are becoming outrageous quite you know quite well where your father is and as to what he is doing you know from his own letter that he is lying ill and longing for you to attend upon him and this is the way that you qualify yourself 
somehow or other now i do not mean to be wicked aunt but i don't think my father ever wrote that letter i mean at any rate of his own free will somebody must have stood over him i feel as if i really saw them and made him say this and that and things that he never used to think of saying why he never would have dreamed when he was well of telling me i was to marry anybody he was so jealous of me he could hardly bear any gentleman to dare to smile and he used to make me promise to begin to let him know five years before i thought of any one and now for him to tell me to marry in a week just as if he was putting down a silver side to salt and marry a boy that he scarcely ever heard of and never even introduced to me he must have been he cannot but have been either wonderfully affected by the climate or shackled down in a slave-driver's dungeon until he had no idea what he was about have you finished grace now is your violence over no i have no violence and it is not half over but still if you wish to say anything i will do all i can to listen to it you are most obliging one would really think that i were seventeen and you nearly seventy aunt patch you know that i am as good as nineteen and instead of being seventy you are scarcely fifty-five grace your memory is better about ages than about what you do not wish to hear of and you do not wish to hear with the common selfishness of the period of the duty which is the most sacred of all and at the same time the noblest privilege the duty of self-sacrifice what are your own little inclinations pretty conceits and miserable jokes jokes that are ever a deadly enmity with all deep religion ah uh, what are they you selfish and frivolous girl when set in the balance with a parent's life and a parent whose life would have been in no danger but for his perfect devotion to you aunt patch i never heard you speak of my father at all in that sort of way before you generally talk of him as if he were careless and worldly and heterodox most frivolous and quite unregenerate and now quite suddenly you find out all his value what do you want me to do so much aunt patch don't look at me like that child you quite insult me as if it could matter to me what you do except for your own eternal welfare if you think it the right thing to let your father die in a savage land calling vainly for you and buried among land crabs without a drop of water that is a matter for you hereafter to render your own account of you have tired me grace i am not so young as you are and i have more feeling i must lie down a little you have so upset me when you have recovered your proper frame of mind perhaps you will kindly see that marjorie has washed out the little brown teapot to be sure auntie i am up to all her tricks and i will just toast you a water biscuit and put a morsel of salt butter on it scarcely so large as a little french bean go to sleep auntie for about an hour i am getting into a very proper frame of mind i can never stay very long out of it may i go into the wood just to think a little of my darling father's letter yes grace but not for more than half an hour on condition that you speak to no one you have made my headache sadly leave your father's letter here oh no if you please let me take it with me how can i think without it miss patch was so sleepy that she said very well let me see it again when you have made the tea 
whereupon grace having beaten up the cushion of the good lady's only luxury and laid her down softly and kissed her forehead for fear of having made it ache stole her own chance for a little quiet thought in a shelter of the woods more soft than thought for the summer was coming with a stride of light and bashful corners full of lateness tried to ease it off with moss in a nook of this kind far from any path and tenderly withdrawn into its own green rest the lonely and bewildered girl stopped suddenly and began to think she drew forth the letter which had grieved her so and she wondered that it had not grieved her more it was not yet clear to her young frank mind that suspicion like a mole was at work in it to get her thoughts better and to feel some goodness she sat upon a peaceful turret of new spear-grass and spread her letter open and began to cry she knew that this was not at all the proper way to take things and yet if any one had come and preached to her and proved it all she could have made no other answer than to cry the more for it the beautiful light of the glancing day turned corners and came round to her the lovable joy of the many many things which there is no time to notice spread itself silently upon the air or told itself only in fragrance and the glossy young blades of grass stood up and complacently measured their shadows here lay grace for a long sad hour taking no heed of the things around her however much they heeded her the white wind-flower with its drooping bells and the blue-bell and the hare-bell and the pasque-flower softest of all soft tints likewise a delicate stitchwort and the breath of the lingering primrose and the white violet that outvies its sister that sweet usurper of the colored name in fragrance and purity and hiding for its life without any one to seek the sensitive wood sorrel and in and out and behind them all the cups and the sceptres and the balls of moss and the shells and the combs of lichen in the middle of the whole this foolish maid had not one thought to throw to them she ought to have sighed at their power of coming one after another forever whereas her own life was but a morning dew but she failed to make any such reflection what she was thinking of she never could have told except that she had a long letter in her lap and could not bring her mind to it and here in the hollow when the warmth came round of the evening fringed with cloudlets she was fairer than any of the buds or flowers and ever so much larger but she could not be allowed to bloom like them oh i beg pardon cried an unseen stranger in a very clear keen voice i fear i am intruding in some private grounds i was making a short cut which generally is a long one if you'll just show me how to get out again i will get out with all speed and thank you grace looked round with surprise but no fear she knew that the voice was a gentleman's but until she got up and looked up at the little hollow she could not see any one please do not be frightened said the gentleman again i deserve to be punished perhaps but not to that extent i fancied that i knew every copse of the county i have proved and must suffer for my ignorance as he spoke he came forward on a little turfy ledge about thirty feet above her and she saw that he looked at her with great surprise she felt that she had been crying very sadly and this might have made her eyes look strange quite as if by accident she let her hair drop forward for she could not bear to be so observed and at that very moment there flowed a gleam of sunshine through it this was the very painting of the picture in her father's room 
saints in heaven cried hardenau who never went further than this in amazement i have found grace oglander stop if you please i beseech you stop but grace was so frightened and so pledge-bound that no adjuration stopped her if hardenau had only been less eager there and then he might have made his bow and introduced himself but gracie thought of the rabbit man and her promise and her loneliness and without looking back she was round the corner and not a ribbon left to trace her by and now again if hardenau had only been less eager he might have caught the fair fugitive by following in her footsteps but for such a simple course as that he was much too clever instead of running down at once to the spot where she had vanished and thence giving chase he must needs try a cross-cut to intercept her there were trees and bushes in the way it was true but he would very soon get through them and to meet her face to face would be more dignified than to run after her he made a beautifully correct cast as to the line she must have taken and aiming well ahead of her leaped the crest of the hollow and set off down the hill apace but here he was suddenly checked by meeting a dense row of hollies which he had not seen by reason of the brushwood in a dauntless matter he dashed in among them scratching his face and hands and losing a fine large piece of black kerseymere from the skirt of his coat and suffering many other lesser damages but what was far worse he lost grace also for out of that holly grove he could not get for a long long time and even then he found himself on the wrong side the one where he had entered if good anglo-catholics ever did swear the reverend thomas hardnow must now have sworn for his plight was of that kind which engenders wrath in the patient and pleasantry of the part of the spectator his face suggested recent duello with a cat his white tie was tattered and hanging down his back his typical coat was a mere postilion's jacket and the condition of his gaiters afforded to the sceptic the clearest proof of the sad effects of perpetual self-denial his hat with the instinct of self-preservation had rolled out from the thicket when he first rushed in and now he picked up this wiser portion of his head and was thankful to have something left chances were against him but what is chance he had an exceedingly strong will of his own and having had the worst of this matter so far he doubly resolved to go through with it without a second thought about his present guise or aspect he ran back to the spot which he had left so unadvisedly there he did what he ought to have done ten minutes or a quarter of an hour ago he ran down the slope to the nest in the nook which had been occupied by grace then he took to the track which she had taken but she had been much too quick for him she had even snatched up her letter so that he was none the wiser he came to a spot where the narrow and thickly woven trackway broke into two and whether of the two to choose was more than a moment's doubt to him then he seemed to see some glint of footsteps and sweep of soft sprays by a dress towards the right and making a dash through the dark hole towards it was straightway enveloped in a doubled rabbit net cast over his surviving hat hold on tight jarge now thou'dst got un cried out somebody whom he could not see poachin son of a gun nuzzle poachin poaching my good friends cried hard now trying to lift his arms and turn his head round all vainly you can scarcely know the meaning of that word or you never would think of applying it to me let me see you that i may explain i have been trespassing i am afraid but by the purest accident allow me to turn round and reason quietly i have the greatest objection to violence i never use nor allow it to be used if you are honest gamekeepers exceeding your duty through earnest zeal 
I would be the last to find fault with you. Want of earnestness is the great fault of this age, but you must not allow yourselves to be misled by some little recent mischances to my clothes. Such things befall about everybody exploring unknown places. You, you are pulling me. You are exceeding your duty. Is the bucolic mind so dense? Here I am at your mercy. Just show yourselves. You may choke me if you like, but the result will be out that you will also be choked yourselves. A rare fine plucked one as ever I see, said rabbiting George the Leviticus Crips when Hard now lay between them, senseless from the pressure upon his throat. Ease him off a bit, my lad. He never done no harm to me. They long-coated parsons as good old women, and he be cut up into a young gal now. They hold on that poor devil right and foremost. Soon as I have stopped and preaching, did ever you see such a guy out of a barrel? Heavy-witted Tychus made no answer, but laid hold of the captive by his shoulders, so that himself might be still unseen. If consciousness should return too soon, Black George tucked the feet under his arm after winding the tail of the net round the shanks and expressing surprise at their slimness and in no better way than this these two ignorant bumpkins swung the body of one of the leading spirits of the rising age to the hog-pound. Thomas Hardnow was not the man to be long insensible. Every fiber of his frame was a wire of electric life. He was all there, to use the slang expression, which by some wondrous accident has a little pith in it. In about two minutes not a bit of him was absent, and he showed it by hanging like a lump, upon his bearers as they fetched him to an empty hog-house, dropped him anyhow, and locked him in. Then one of them jumped on a little horse and galloped off to Oxford. End of chapter 46